If you have your Bibles, take them out to Acts chapter 9. I'd appreciate that. Uh, the message outlines right out there at the center doors. Right there, you can pick up the bulletin. It's inside of the bulletin. You can take that out. We're going to continue in our series, Unstoppable. We're going through the book of Acts and seeing how the early church was unstoppable. Um, two of the greatest events in church history that we find involve the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave and also involve the conversion story of the Apostle Paul. It's what we see. And many skeptics have tried both over the years to try to look at that and figure it out. And in doing so, many of the skeptics have come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. See, it was the power of God that brought forth Jesus from the grave. It was the power of God that transformed a person into that per person who was a persecutor of the faith, now to a propagator of the faith. Just imagine for a moment that uh, you're writing your own autobiography, and you're writing your autobiography. It's the life and times of you. Put your name in there. It's your life and times that you're writing. And in the life and times, that first page in which you write, it's, it's your parents and how they brought you into the world. And as all that first page has all the data. All the data's there. You know, the hospital, you know, the place, the time, the length, the weight, and all that. But right before that first page, what you find is, what you find there on another page before that first page is stamped, discarded. Discarded. That sounds kind of cold, but it means rejected. Everybody in this world has that stamp on their life, discarded on them. That's not what God intended. That's not what he intended at all. But when God created Adam and Eve, the Bible tells us he created them in excellence, in purity. He created them in innocence and, and perfection. But they had the opportunity to choose, didn't they? And we know the story. We know what they chose. They chose to disobey God. And, and in doing so, that life and all of our lives, according to Romans chapter 5, verse 12, that sin entered the world through one man, Adam. And because of that sin, death came. As a result, death came to all people because all have sinned, right? And now all of us have stamped on us, discarded. Discarded is what we have. And yet we go on and we live our lives and we grow, we learn, we study, and, and we learn things. We do bad things, we do good things. But I want you to notice here, and from Acts chapter 9 in the life story of the Apostle Paul, that no matter what our past was, in Christ we have a future. And I hope that's good news to everyone, that no matter what your past was, your past was, in Christ you have a future. Isn't that great news? No matter what we've done, and we're going to see the Apostle Paul, he did terrible things, but no matter what we've done in Christ, we do have a future. Acts chapter 9 begins by reintroducing us to Saul. I'll read about him in Acts chapter 7. He would be, later become the Apostle Paul. But here was a man that was so zealous for his faith, for being a Pharisee. When, it, when, it, when Christ came along and, and Christianity came along and the disciples were there, Saul thought that it was a huge assault to his faith. So what did Saul try to do? He tried to extinguish all Christians, tried to wipe them out. Saul was there, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 7, when they stoned Stephen, the first martyr, that they laid the coats at, at Saul's feet right there, and it was imprinted on Saul's life. And it's so imprinted on him that he even more was enraged and engaged to wipe out the early church. That was his goal, to wipe out the early church. Let's read about it in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way. The way was given to the followers of Jesus. They were in the way of Jesus, men and women. In the way of Jesus, in the way of Jesus. And let's read verse, verse 2 and on. 
whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So you're writing your own autobiography. It's our lives can easily be divided here is what we, we see. The first page of our lives, our own lives, is kind of the day, the life and times of you. And it has all the events, your birth, all the other events. And that last page, we don't really like to talk about it because that last page is when we go home to be with the Lord. But there, there's a one long chapter that begins with the day that we entered this earth, with the day that we were born, and ends the day that we leave this earth at our death. And this morning, what I want to do, I want to talk about the autobiography of the Apostle Paul. The Apostles Paul, his life can be divided. It was divided by this time, and our, our lives can be divided as well. A life before Christ. That we have a life before Christ, and that's the first fill in the blank there. What was, what was Paul's life before Christ was marked by? In fact, he writes about it in, in Scripture, a number of different passages. He writes about it and shares his testimony in Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, Acts chapter 26, Philippians chapter 3, and Galatians chapter 1. He says that, uh, he says, before I knew Jesus, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He says, when it came to righteousness, I was blameless. When it came to the law, I had great teachers. I really knew the law, and I know the law. He says, I was zealous for my faith. Even if it meant killing other people who he thought was attacking his faith, Paul would do that. Didn't spare anything, whatever it took to keep his faith, whatever he did. That was Paul's life before he came to Christ. Everybody has a before Christ. Everybody you meet has a before Christ. But I pray that everyone, one day, their eyes will be opened and have a turning point in their life where they come to recognize, understand who Jesus is, that he's the Son of God, that he's God, and that he died on the cross for your sins so that you can have eternal life and find forgiveness of sins through Jesus. And you come and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins. The Apostle Paul had a very dramatic moment in his life uh, that Jesus met him personally, and he heard the voice of Christ there, right there on the road to Damascus. And when you look back at that, you see that changed his whole life, changed everything about Paul. Everybody's got a before Christ. And when you came and you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, now your life is divided into two chapters, before Christ and after Christ. Blessed is the person who has two chapters in their life, amen? Blessed is the person that has that. To only have one chapter in your life is to be a man or woman who's going to be a, a very miserable in their life because they're without Jesus. They don't have Christ, right? But the first chapter before we came to Christ might be marked about a, with a lot of bad things that happens in our life. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy, he says, I'm the chief of sinners. In other words, I'm the worst of all sinners there ever could be is what Paul said. I've met people that have come up to me and they said, I thought that, I think that verse was written to them. Because they consider themselves the chief of sinners. They said, I've done things that you wouldn't believe that I've done. And what they're saying is, is my life is so messed up that I've done a lot of things that I'm not proud of, where they think that I'm too bad for God to love me. And I'm beyond saving, is what they think. 
And even if they come to the point where they recognize that they need a Savior, they, they believe they have to clean their lives up before they come to Jesus. That i got to clean up. got to get my life straight before I can accept Jesus. And maybe you're in that category today where you think that you're beyond saving. You're beyond being loved by God. There's no way God can love you. Or maybe you're in the category that you look at your life before Jesus and you say, you've done a lot of pretty good things. You've got a lot of accomplishments. And I've helped quite a few people on the way to the extent where you say, you know, I don't think I really need God in my life. You know, some people think in their own self-righteousness that they don't need Jesus. I don't need Jesus at all because look at how my life, look at it. And other people think in the depths of their sin that Jesus could never love them at all. He could never love them. Jesus died on the cross so you and, my, you and I might have eternal life. He died for all sins, right? No person has sinned too much. No person. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter how many sins you've done. It doesn't matter how many times that you've done it. In Christ, you have a future. Amen? In Christ, we have a future. It doesn't matter what our lives were before Christ. Look at the Apostle Paul, what his life was like. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, your life has now been divided. And it's been divided by life transformed by Christ. And that's how I want you to look at it. Not just life after Christ. My life has been transformed by Christ. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that salvation event is the most important event in your life. And you might say, no, when I got married, that's the most important event in my life. No, that's an important date. You don't want to forget that day, right? You don't want to forget that day. You might say, when my children were born, that's the most important day. That's an important day. You don't want to forget that date either. But the day you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior is the most important day. It's the day that you were born again. It's the day that you really begin to live on that day. It's the day that you were translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It was the day the Holy Spirit opened up that book and where it says, uh, discarded, he crosses that off and now he stamps, accepted, redeemed, beloved, and mine. And it's where the Holy Spirit now takes that pen from your hand and that autobiography that you've been writing about yourself now becomes a biography. And now the Holy Spirit is writing that, writing that second chapter of your life. He's writing a book. And as he's writing that life after Christ, it can be an exciting life, an amazing life that he has for us. But you and I have to yield to him. We have to obey him and walk with him, right? That he wants us to have this amazing life, a life of significance, a life that really makes a difference, difference, a life that really matters. But there are those that will say that this event of coming to Jesus Christ isn't really that important. They say it really isn't that important. You don't really have to do that. I remember reading one philosopher a long time ago. says, you don't have to really come to that place in your life where you see that I need Jesus. And it comes to that crisis event that he said, you know, I was born, but now I, I realize I need Jesus. They say that all you have to really do is learn about him. You need to grow, but you need to learn about him and grow and get more information. And you kind of just evolve into be a Christian. And there's people that say that. I just evolved into be a Christian. The difficulty with that is we don't lack knowledge, do we? We lack Jesus is what we lack. We don't lack knowledge. Knowledge isn't going to pay for our sins only Jesus. It doesn't matter how much I know about this book. It doesn't matter if I've got the whole Testament memorized, the New Testament memorized. If I haven't applied it by faith into my life, it's not going to save me. Knowledge doesn't save a person. Only Jesus does. Only Jesus. Remember that. It's Jesus Christ that saves us. This knowledge after I come to know Christ is important to know for me to grow in my faith and to grow my walk with Jesus. But only Jesus saves where we come and we put our faith and trust in Jesus. And we realize that. 
There comes a place in our life where Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 comes very important in our life, and it says this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believed and are justified. Justified means declared righteous by God. And it is with your mouth that you confess and that you are saved. If you've been here in any amount of time, you know that we constantly preach that salvation is only through Jesus, right? In Christ and Christ alone. We understand that. It's only through Jesus. That separates a person's life from before Christ to after Christ. Life that is transformed by Jesus, right? The life transformed by Jesus. The apostle Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? That's an indication anybody who persecutes the church, Jesus takes it personal. And he says, you're not only per persecuting that believer, my child, you're persecuting me. This is my church. They belong to me. And, and, and Saul said, who are you, Lord? And then Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And I want to stop there for a minute. I want you to think about this. Here is Saul on the road to Damascus, has names in his hand from the high priest, going there to find people who are in the way with Jesus, who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross for their sins, he was buried and raised on the third day, that he's the Messiah, he's the Redeemer, all those things they believe about him. And here's Saul on his way to find those people who believe in Jesus, because Saul doesn't believe that at all. He believes Jesus was a blasphemer, a false teacher or a false prophet, all those kind of things. And he believes that Jesus died and his, he was a just death. He was supposed to die because he was a bad guy. And here he is on his way to get those people to what he thought was right to do. And all of a sudden, he's, he sees a flash of light. He drops down to the ground and he realizes the one that is speaking to him is God. He understands that because he says, who are you, Lord? And all of a sudden, he hears this voice says, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. At that moment, everything that Paul believed about Jesus was wrong. And he came to understand exactly who Jesus was, that he is God. And everything that these Christians have been talking about is truth, that he did die on the cross, and he is alive. He's not dead in that grave, but he's in heaven, and he's alive. And he understood he's the Messiah, the Son of God, God, the anointed one. He understood all those things at that time. And then Jesus says to him, I want you to go into the city. And Saul went into the city, couldn't see, so he's led in the, by hand into the city. And so he went into the city, and, and, but he went there in faith and believing. He was believing who Jesus was now. He understood that. And this was the turning point in his life, in Saul's life. It's a turning point. It changed everything. And my question to you is, do you have a date? Do you have a time that separates your life into two chapters? Do you have that in your own life? We say, my life now is separated in those two chapters. The book that you're writing, the life and times of you, that you have two chapters in that book of your own. I, I don't believe you have to remember the exact date. It's kind of hard to do that. But you remember the time that you said yes to Jesus and you accepted him as your Savior. I want you to think about it. Not the pastor has said this so many times, and I know I should said that. say this. Have you actually done it? You've heard it a hundred times, but have you actually received Jesus Christ as your own Savior? That changes our before now to an after. We no longer have a before Christ. That is gone. Now we have, it's after Christ, right? So when you come to Christ, the second chapter begins in our life is what happens. It begins for the Apostle Paul. He went to Damascus where what he desperately needed to do, he needed to grow. He needed to understand who Jesus was. The groundwork had already been laid from his Jewish training. 
I believe one of the reasons that Paul was such a great witness for Jesus because he, he understood the law, memorized, he memorized the law. He had the first five books of the Torah probably memorized being a Pharisee. He knew the Old Testament. He knew the prophecies. He knew all that stuff. He could defend himself. He could argue with the best about the law. He could argue with the best about the Jewish faith because he knew it inside and out. But what did he need? He needed to grow to become more like Jesus. He didn't have that, did he? He wasn't like Jesus at all. He needed to grow in his knowledge of who Jesus was. He needed to understand Jesus more so he could become more like him. That's what he needed to do. And when you read this passage that God brought in his life, a man by the name of Ananias, and God spoke to Ananias in verse 11, and he says, Ananias, I want you to go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. And every time I read this, I love this, that God actually gives us this detail. He says, Ananias, I want you to go to Damascus, and I want you to go to the house of Judas. You know, he lives on Straight Street down there. Just go down to Straight Street. You're going to find this man. And what you're going to find there is there's this man there by the name of Saul who's from Tarsus. This is where we get where Saul's from. The apostle Paul is from Tarsus. And he said, this man is going to be blind. And what I want you to do, I want you to go in there, and I want you to pray for him. I want you to pray for his healing and pray that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're Ananias, you know the reputation of this guy. You're not really excited about going down and talk to Saul. You know what he's capable of doing. You've heard the stories. You know all about him. And look what Ananias says to God. Verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. What every person needs to understand and what they need to understand is that they are transformed by the power of Christ, right? We're not transformed by knowledge. We're transformed by the power of Christ, not by our own will or somebody else's will or the will of the church. We're transformed by the power of Christ, amen? That's what we're transformed. But we're transformed, this is really important, there's an X fill in the blank, to be discipled. To be discipled. Unfortunately, many times people think that salvation is God's ultimate goal for every one of us. It isn't. That's not God's goal for you. It's for you to be saved. Putting your faith in Jesus, this isn't the end. This is just the beginning of our life. See, of, the, of another chapter, the most significant chapter of our life, Paul writes to the Roman believers, he writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, and he says this, For those God foreknew, he also predestined, be conformed to the likeness of his Son. God's goal for us is not salvation, that's just the beginning. God's goal for you and I, that we'd be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. His goal is not for you just to belong into the family of God. God's goal for you is just, no, no, no. I don't want you to be the person you used to be. I want you to be conformed to the likeness of my son. That's God's goal for every one of us in this room. Not just as to come know Christ as our Savior. You think you're missing it. That's why Paul was writing in Romans. God's goal for you is to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. And that begins by discipleship. That begins by you and I learning and growing and reading and studying the Word of God in, in prayer. And having people like Ananias and others pour into our lives. That's what Paul had. Ananias went to that house and he prayed for Saul. Saul received uh, this, his sight again after being blind on the road to Damascus. He received the Holy Spirit. He was baptized by Ananias. And other people would pour into Saul's life. And that's what we need. People pouring into our life. But this is really important for us to understand. 
really important, that we need to come to know Jesus. We need to accept Jesus, but that is not the end. That's just the beginning of the life that we start. That's just the beginning of the second chapter, that we are to take this life so seriously with God that the Bible says that the old is gone and now the new has come, that now I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ, that I'm not to live the way I used to live before Christ, but I'm called to live in a new way to following Jesus. I'm called to be conformed to the likeness of his son, not just to stay here and I'm saved and say, hey, that's good. It's great you're saved, but that's not God's goal. God's goal is to make you more like Jesus. So as we get into the word, the Bible says it will transform our thinking and our mind. It will challenge us and it will change us. So we are to be transformed, to be discipled, to grow, to be more like Jesus, to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Amen? That's what God's goal is for every one of us, be conformed to be be like Jesus. The second thing we learn, not only transformed to be discipled, but we're transformed to disciple, to disciple. And Jesus shared that with his apostles. He said this to them in Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, and when you're going, and as you're going, I want you to teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So what Jesus is saying, so go make disciples, so that your disciples can make disciples, and those disciples can make disciples, and those disciples can make disciples, and those disciples. That's how it's supposed to work. That's what he tells him. He says, I want you to go make disciples. So we're constantly making disciples, and we're pouring into people's lives, and then we find other people to pour into. That's what we're supposed to do. The apostle Paul later wrote to Timothy, who he discipled in 2 Timothy 2.2. I love this verse. And he says, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will be able to also qualify to teach others. So he tells young Timothy, who Paul discipled, he says, Timothy, The things you have heard me say, the things I have taught you, I want you to now find reliable people that you may pour that into them and so they can do the same to someone else and someone else. Multiplication. That's what we're supposed to do as a Christian. Multiply ourselves. Continue to share Christ with other people. And we're supposed to do that. And not just say, well, I did that years ago or as discipled. None of us ever stopped being discipled. None of us ever stopped growing in our lives. We are constantly to be growing, constantly having people pour into our lives at church, in small groups, Bible studies, growing ourselves, but having people pour in our lives, and then we're supposed to pour into other people's lives. You find the church, when you do this, will just explode. It will just explode. It's God's plan. It's through God's plan. It's salvation transformed to be discipled, but salvation transformed to disciple. Both. We're to constantly be discipled, but also to disciple. Discipleship, and discipleship never ends for any of us. Don't think, well, I've been discipled and I'm finished. No, you're not. None of us have arrived in this, in this life. We're still to grow. We're still to allow people to pour into us. And we need others. We need that fellowship. We need others to be pouring into us. Saul was discipled by Ananias and others that poured into his life. And he went to preach in Damascus for three years. He stayed in Damascus. You can imagine as Paul was staying someplace for three years, the city was in an uproar. And so much that the one who previously was persecuting Christians who was preaching Jesus now finds his own life in jeopardy for preaching Jesus. Kind of ironic, right? He was out there persecuting people and trying to put them to death. Now he finds others want to put him to death for preaching that same name, the name of Jesus Christ. So he escapes. 
they lower Paul down through a wall, uh, a wall, through a hole in the wall of the city. And then he goes to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, he can have a fantastic ministry, a big ministry, except for the fact of his reputation. He's got a reputation. He comes to Jerusalem, and those at the church, they don't trust him. They don't want him around. Why? Because they might have uh, family members and friends that they know that Saul arrested and maybe had murdered or killed. So they don't want anything to do with him. They don't trust him. They think he's just trying to get on the inside. The other Jewish people, his friends, his Jewish brothers, those are the Pharisees, they think he's a traitor. We don't want anything to do with you. I thought you were on our side, and now you're the one preaching Jesus. They don't want anything to do with him. So he's all alone. He's all by himself. And then comes Barnabas comes along. We met him in Acts chapter 4, the son of encouragement. Barnabas comes with him, and he kind of sponsors him. He encourages him, and he introduces him to the body of Christ is what he does, what Barnabas does. Transform to be discipled, transform to disciple. And I have a question for you. As you're writing your book, your autobiography, and you're writing your book, do you have a chapter division? Do you have a before and after? When you look at this continuum, and there's a continuum up here, up here is that the day that you were born, the day that you came onto this earth, and over here is the day that you leave the earth, the day of your death. Where are you on the continuum? Let's say right here, this podium represents coming to Jesus Christ. Where would you say that you are on this continuum? Are you maybe on this side? It says, you know, I haven't accepted Jesus yet. I'm on that journey. I still have some questions about who Jesus is and, and what he's done in my life and, and all those kind of questions. I still have questions about the Bible. You're in a safe place. It's a good place to be to get those questions answered. We'd love to help you with that, get those questions answered. If those are keeping you from coming to know Jesus Christ. But the two most important questions you need to get answered are, who is Jesus and what did he do? And to know, understand that, you need to understand that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's God, and that he died on the cross for your sins. He was buried and raised on the third day. And you need to come to that moment where you realize that, that I'm a sinner, separated from God, and I need someone's going to bridge that gap. I need a Savior, and that is Jesus. And you come to that point in your life where you put your faith and trust in Jesus. And hopefully you come to that point and love to help you with that, but you need to come to that point and put your faith and trust in Jesus. Maybe you say, you know, I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, but I haven't really grown. Uh, or I've grown a little bit, or I haven't grown in the last few years. You know, I, I started growing when I first came to know Jesus. I was on fire, but something happened there. And maybe I haven't grown in the last year. You know, it doesn't matter if we grow two year, 10 years ago. It matters today. What am I doing today for Jesus? I can change everything. What's, what am I doing today? So maybe you say, I haven't grown in two years, three years, five years, 10 years, 20 years. But I'm not really growing right now. And you need to start growing. You say, right, I really need to start growing. To a large degree... We're in charge and, and the, to the speed of our growing in this second chapter of our life. We're in charge of that. And we have a lot to do with our growth, the where we're going to be in this second chapter of our life before we die here. We have, have a lot to do with that. Uh, God wants us to grow. We need to understand the Holy Spirit wants us to grow. He's all for us growing. But you and I have to be a part of what God is going to do in that, right? We have to be a part of it. We have to get into the Word. We may be getting a small group. We have to read the Bible and we have to study. We have to come to church on Sunday. And as you grow, they come and say, God, teach me something that it may apply to my life. You know, God will do that. If we ask God to teach us, God, show me something today that I can apply to my life. I guarantee he will do that if you come with a sincere heart. But sometimes we come with our hearts not open and our hearts aren't tender before God. And man, I didn't get anything out of the service. It's not God's fault. 
It's usually our fault. Because I didn't come to receive anything from God. But when we come and we ask him, God, teach me. Help me to understand. We need to grow. And we learn best growing through community. God knows that, that we're supposed to meet together because we learn through community. That's why he created the church. So we would have a chance to meet and worship together, fellowship together, pray together. We can interact with one another, ask questions, encourage one another. If we're down, someone else encourages. God knew that we needed community. He created the church. He said, you need this, that we can grow together. And we as people learn best through community. You may not realize it, but we do. We all do. We need that. And then finally, we come to the point where I'm being discipled and I'm being conformed to the likeness of Jesus, that I come to this point in my life that I begin to pour my life into other people. That's what God wants, that you and I would pour our lives into others, that I disciple other people, one-on-one, small group, or whatever it may be, that I might be involved in doing that. My question is, where are you on this continuum? Where are you at this morning? And wherever you're at, don't be satisfied to stay in the same place, but to keep moving. That's what we need to do is keep moving forward. You find if you're not growing, if you're stuck in your growth and you're not growing in your faith and you're not growing in your walk with Jesus, but we are getting closer to our death and it's fastly approaching. And every one of us one day, uh, we're going to have to stand before Jesus and give an account of our life. And we don't want to be embarrassed. We want to see Jesus with confidence. And I know if you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, hear me, hear me, hear me, if you trusted Jesus Christ, your Savior, you're going to go to heaven and you're going to see Jesus, right? Every one of us. We have that second chapter of our life. Amen, right? But every one of us has, an, has a second chapter of our life. One day, you and I are going to have to stand before Jesus face to face and give him an account of our lives. Not of our sins. Those were paid for at the cross. We're going to have to get an account of our life. What did I do with my time in this second chapter of my life? since I came to know Jesus Christ, my Savior. What have I done with all the time that God has given me in that time? What have I done? How have I lived for him? Have I given my time to Jesus? Have I really given my time? What have I done with the treasures, the resources he's given me, my finances and my tithes? Have I given to Jesus? Have I glorified him with my treasures? What have I done with the talents and the gifts? Have I used, used those talents and gifts to glorify God? That every one of us one day will have to stand in front of Jesus and give an account. All of us that have a second chapter, all of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we will be looked at and God will reward us for what we have. But what have we done? So we all want to have confidence when we see him. We don't want to be embarrassed when he comes back. But what do you have? What did you do and say, I have nothing? I just got saved and I did nothing. That God wants us to reward us. The last thing he said to us in Revelation, Behold, I am coming soon and my reward is with me. Salvation is not a reward, it's a gift. God said, I want to reward you. I want you to live that faithful life in that second chapter of your life after coming to know Jesus. I want to reward you for what you've done, for all the things you've done. So we need to keep moving forward wherever you're at. Wherever you're at, keep moving forward because that day over here when we leave this earth, and go home and be with the Lord is coming, vast approach it for all of us. One day we will see that. John Newton, we know him for writing songs like Amazing Grace, right? And at the end of the 1700s, he was like a lot of young men. He was living a life of sin, like so many people do. And he got involved in the slave trade and working on ships that went to Africa. They enslaved people and took them to the new world. That's horrible, horrible time, horrible, horrible practice where human beings are sold as merchandise. It's still happening in some forms today, and it's, it's just terrible. It's terrible. It should not be happening. But John Newton, at one point in his life, he became a slave himself, and later on, he became a captain of a slave ship. 
where he would take people from Africa to the new world and sold them as slaves, and, but their lives were ruined. Those people's lives were ruined. Well, what happened, God used a big storm in John Newton's life on sea, at the sea. At that time, John Newton was reading a book by Thomas Akempis, The Imitation of Christ. And he came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. And Jesus changed his life completely. The before Christ was drastically different than the after Christ. After Christ, he became a, a stronger opponent in England for, for liberty and freedom. And not just physically, but also spiritually. Along with the Wesley brothers, George Whitfield, Wilbur Force, and others, he worked with them. John Newton wrote these words for his own gravestone. Listen to what he said. He said this, John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slavers in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he once labored to destroy. He would go on at one point in his life, he said this, and I love this quote from John Newton. He said this, I'm not the man I ought to be, and I'm not the man I wish to be. I'm not the man I hope to be, but by the grace of God, I'm not the man I used to be. Keep moving forward. All of us do to keep moving forward. Never stop moving forward. No Christ, no Christ for salvation, but keep moving forward. This chapter in your life, the second chapter in your life that the Holy Spirit is now taking the pen and he's writing your life. Let's make it the best. Let's make it the best. Let's yield our hearts and minds to him and give him control. Let's follow the will of God so we can make this second chapter in our life make a difference for Jesus. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, your Savior, I'd love to talk with you after the service. Come up and see me. I promise that Jesus will change your life for the better. For the better. I promise you that. If you accept Christ, you will never be sorry for that. Amen? But if you have accepted Christ, if your life has been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ, go and be disciple. Be disciple. Be disciple. Come see me. Even if you're a believer for many years, what happens is sometimes people are believers for years say, well, I'm embarrassed to say I've not, I haven't grown. I've grown very little. Don't let pride stand in the way. Come and get discipled. Get discipled. Grow in your faith. Become what God wants you to be, right? That's what God wants us to be. He wants us to grow. Grow to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. That's what he wants for every one of us. Not just to be a, a part of his family, to be saved. He says, no, I want so much more for you. I want you to be like my son because there's no one greater than my son. And God said, that's what I want for you, to be like him, conformed to his likeness and who he is. And that's what God wants. And we should be, wow, God, you want that for me? For every one of us, he wants that. Not only go and be disciple, but go and make disciples. Let's make this second chapter of our life really, really count. Let's make a difference for Jesus, amen? That's what God wants. He says, I just didn't save you to live your life your way. I just didn't save you that Jesus came down here so you can go on and do what you want in this earth. No, I saved you for a purpose and a reason. For you to be discipled so you can be conformed to the likeness of my son and so that you can go and make disciples and make other people like Jesus. I help and conform them to Jesus, right? Discipleship. It takes place in discipleship, guys. It's so, so important for us to be disciple. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we come and we praise you. We thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you so much for the word of God as we read in Saul's life in Acts chapter 9. What a tremendous story, Lord. And so many people have read that. And through research and 
the resurrection of Jesus and the salvation story of the apostle Paul, they've come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, to realize that God is someone like Saul who was killing Christians, who was trying to wipe out the church and Christianity and do away with the name of Jesus, that God, if you can save someone like them, there's hope for me in Jesus Christ. Every one of us. None of us are beyond being saved. None of us are beyond your love. None of us have sinned too much or went too far. That we always find hope through Jesus. And I pray for each person here that if they, they don't know Jesus Christ, their Savior, come and help them to realize that, Lord, through Christ they find forgiveness. Through Christ they find freedom. Through Christ they find hope, Lord, and we come to him. And I pray that each person here, that they find salvation through Jesus. They come and just realize they're a sinner in need of a Savior. I pray for all us that maybe we're saved, we accepted Jesus Christ. We have that second chapter in our life. But, Lord, we haven't grown. And there's things going on in our life that make us doubt Jesus, not trust him. Help us, Lord, to realize what we all need is be disciples. We need others to pour into our lives to help us to grow and become more like Jesus. And, Lord, what we also need is that we might be teaching others. Lord, convict us in our hearts and minds that we can do more, that we need to keep moving toward Jesus, that we need to be all that we can be for Christ. As we look at the Apostle Paul and Saul's life, we're going to find out how you used him in such amazing, amazing ways through the book of Acts. And Lord, today you're not finished with being done working, that you want to do amazing things in each and every one of our lives too. Things of the impossible, Things that we can never accomplish on our own, but it's only by us fully yielding to the power of the Spirit. Lord, we ask as the Holy Spirit writes this second chapter in our lives, that Lord, we yield to you and be obedient and watch you do amazing things in our lives. Help us surrender to you. Help us to allow you to reign in our lives this morning, Lord, as we say, God, you reign in all areas of my life. If he doesn't today, at this moment, Lord, we surrender to you and say, God, you reign. Because you do, whether we realize it or not, that you reign. Let's just submit and yield our lives to you. How you reign in all of our lives. We love you and we praise you this morning, Lord.